Food is at the core of everything we do, from first dates at the cinema eating popcorn, family Sunday meals, to observing religious beliefs such as Ramadan, Diwali and Lent. It plays a massive part in many cultures and societies. If taken properly, food can help humans live a long healthy lifestyle, but increasingly, due to a high-fat, processed diet and the associated health problems, it's effectively becoming one of the biggest underlying factors for many deaths in the world. But gluttony has always been around. Indeed, it's one of the seven biblical sins. And many famous examples of glutton abound, such as Henry VIII, whose 5,000 calorie a day regime ensured he was so morbidly obese and stricken with gout, a condition associated with a high-protein diet, that he could barely walk by the time of his death. Historical Crimes and Criminals podcast. I'm Steve, your host. A special thanks this week to the wonderfully talented poet, Luke Wright, who's given me permission to play his poem, The Ballad of Edward Dando, at the end of this episode. But if you think poetry isn't really for me, think again, because you perhaps haven't come across Luke's works, and he does regular tours across the UK. His links are in the show notes for today's episode. Before we go on to the main course of today's episode, let me give you some appetisers. Queen Victoria had a huge appetite, perhaps because she had a restrictive diet growing up and she weighed a mere seven stone on her wedding day, but developing a belly-bursting 51-inch waist by the time she reached 80. She was a huge glutton and gobbled down food so fast that she regularly suffered from indigestion. Moreover, when she finished her course, everyone sitting at the table had to stop and their plates taken quickly away, many only having had a few mouthfuls. Adolf Frederick was the King of Sweden from 1751 to 1771. Twenty years after taking the throne, he had an extravagant meal in which he ate numerous servings of lobster, caviar, sauerkraut, kippers and champagne. The king then had his favourite dessert, a traditional Swedish dish of semla, a cream-filled bun served in a bowl of milk. However, he didn't stop at one or two buns. He ate 14 cream-filled buns. He died of digestive problems later that night and he's still known to Swedish children as the king who ate himself to death. But it wasn't just in the eating of the food that led to deaths. In 1626, 
the elderly philosopher and statesman Sir Francis Bacon was travelling home to St Albans in a coach when he decided to test his theory that freezing food could preserve it for longer. Bacon stopped the coach and purchased a chicken from an old lady in Highgate Hill, which he then slaughtered, plucked and proceeded to stuff with snow. Unfortunately for Bacon, this exposure to the cold and wet caused him to contract pneumonia, from which he died some days later. People even learned a living and became famous for their ability to eat huge quantities. The great eater of Kent, a 17th century English labourer named Nicholas Wood, entertained fairgoers at country festivals by consuming 60 eggs, mutton, three large pies and a black pudding in a single sitting. And which leads on to today's story. Edward Dando was a gourmetizer. The Collins English Dictionary defines gourmetizer as someone who eats food greedily and voraciously. We call them a glutton. He was born in South London in 1803. He was a criminal, but one which endeared him to the public sentiments and gave him a cult status. His modus operandi was simple. He feasted on what he couldn't afford, touring the city's eateries, consuming huge quantities of food and then refusing to pay. Dandel was a gourmetizer with a preference for oysters, and he could eat a prodigious amount, devouring up to 360 oysters in a sitting with bread and butter, washed down with porter, brandy or water, before informing the keeper of the oyster house that he could not pay, with the usual results of a eating or a spell in jail, or sometimes both. Dando became a newspaper man's dream with his exploits, a real cult hero, and the public loved reading stories of the rogue. Newspaper stories covered Dando's every court appearance. He was lucky to live in the days before photography, as restaurateurs couldn't then have a photograph of him. On the 4th of January 1831, the Morning Post reported, Hatton Garden. Last night, the celebrated gourmetizer at other people's expense, Edward Dando, was brought before Mr. Lang and in default of bail was committed to prison, charged with having, last evening, about seven o'clock, devoured rounds of toast, sundry basins of soup and coffee at the Sun Coffee House. Charles Street, Hatton Gardens, without paying for the same. He saw himself as a social campaigner, highlighting society's double standards. I refuse to starve in a land of plenty. Instead, I shall follow the example of my betters by running into debt without having the means of paying. Why, some men live in great extravagance and luxury, owe money and cheat their creditors yet they're still considered respectable and honest. I only run into debt to satisfy the craving of hunger 
and yet am despised and beaten. The Morning Post also reported another case from Lambeth Street Magistrates Court. Lambeth Street. Last night, Henry Cornell, the notorious victimiser of coffee shopkeepers, was brought before Messrs Hardwick and Coombs for practising his old tricks and defrauding Philip Pullen, the keeper of a coffee and beer shop in Whitehorse Street, Stepney, of one shilling and nine pence. The complainant said that on the previous night, the prisoner came to his house and engaged a bed for the night, and on coming downstairs that morning, ordered a nice Yarmouth bloater and some toast and coffee to be prepared for his breakfast. Not knowing anything of his character or habits, his order was strictly complied with, but on finishing his breakfast and being asked about the bill, he said, I've got no money about him, but if the complainant would accompany him to a house of a friend, he would get the amount. Finding he could get nothing out of him, he consented to go with him, although they walked from place to place until he was scarcely able to stand from fatigue and he was unable to get a penny, and at length determined to bring him before the worships. And so, the court hearing. Mr Coombs to the prisoner. What is your name, Dando? Why, my proper name and address is Mr Henry Carell of Liverpool, surgeon, but the newspapers have thought it proper to dub me the Jew Dando and second in addition. I dare say your worships have heard of me before. Lee the officer, he's been committed from this office for two months to the House of Correction not long since. Dando, that has nothing to do with the present case, which I contend is one more of simple debt. Well, the other was assault and battery. I offered, continued he, this person, pointing to the complainant, my coat for the paltry debt, and finding he was inhumane enough to accept it and send me into the street without a coat, I thought I would disappoint him, so I refused him the coat. At the same time, I told him that as a gentleman, I would get his money if he accompanied me to the house of a friend. Complainant. Why, I went with you and you nearly walked my legs off. Dando. More fool you, I told you first that your loss of time would be more valuable than the debt was worth. Complainant. There are other charges of a similar description against the prisoner. There's a person named Edwards outside who he has also cheated. Dando. No such thing. Edwards was called for but no person of that name answered. Dando, during the absence of the officer, betrayed much anxiety on it being announced to the magistrates, though, that no person answered, exultingly said, I told you so. Mr Coombs observed there could be no doubt that the prisoner went around cheating in the manner that had been described, but he must leave him to be indicted for it. Dandel replied, it is true I do about it, but it's for the purpose of reforming the shopkeepers, who charge more than double what they should for their dirty coffee. Then they only think about one and ninepence indictments. Cases like this made Dandel a celebrity, 
the public wanted to read about his exploits and the media happily obliged. It helped that he knew the value of a good soundbite. And here's a quote from another of Dando's many court appearances. I suppose you're brought here for gormandizing and not paying for it, asked the magistrate. I had a few oysters, it's true, your worship. And what to say about the charge? Nothing, sir, but that I was very hungry. He travelled from area to area, and often notices were put in local newspapers, warning of his presence. Caution to shellfish dealers, publicans, etc. Dando, the oyster eater abroad. A few months later, the Morning Chronicle repeated a paragraph on Dando from the Kentish Gazette. Dando had travelled into Kent to continue his gormandizing there, possibly having become too well known in his usual London haunts. The Kentish Gazette also carried a description of Dando. Dando on his travels. Dando, the celebrated oyster eater, committed for vagrancy, 29 years of age, lame in the right foot, stands 5 foot 7 inches in height, his hair is brown, complexion fair, and he generally wears jail dress. In June 1832, Edward Dando returned to London, having been imprisoned in Kent several times during his tour, and it was only a matter of days before he found himself in Cold Bathfields Prison, otherwise known as the Middlesex House of Correction, located in Clerkenwell. During the incarceration, he was taken ill with cholera. Also, a beggar named James Martin, who was likewise a prisoner, went to his assistance. Both men were taken to the infirmary, where they both died within a few hours of each other. And the two men were buried alongside each other on Wednesday, 29th of August, 1832, at St James's in Clerkenwell. The Morning Post reported on the 1st of September, 1832, Death of Dando, the Oyster Eater. We have this day to record the death of the well-known Dando, the terror of shellfish dealers and all purveyors of the necessaries of life. He was 29 years old. He was well known to Charles Dickens, who recanted a rather fanciful tale of Dando when he wrote to Professor Felton in 1842. But perhaps you don't know who Dando was. He was an oyster eater, my dear Felton. He used to go into oyster shops without a farling of money and stand by the counter eating natives until the man who opened them grew pale, cast down his knife, staggered backwards, struck his white forehead with his open hand and cried, You are Dando! He is known to have eaten 20 dozen at one sitting and would have ate 40 if the truth had not flashed upon the shopkeeper. For these offences, he was constantly committed to the House of Correction. 
During his last imprisonment, he was taken ill, got worse and worse, and at last began knocking violent double knocks at death's door. The doctor stood by his bed with his fingers on his pulse. He is going, says the doctor. I see it in his eye. There is only one thing that would keep life in him for another hour, and that is oysters. They were immediately brought. Dando swallowed eight and feebly took a ninth. He held it in his mouth and looked round the bed strangely. Not a bad one, is it? said the doctor. The patient shook his head, rubbed his trembling hand on his stomach, bolted the oyster and fell back dead. They buried him in the prison yard and paved his grave with oyster shells. Well, that's it for another episode of the Historical Crimes and Criminals podcast. And I'm going to leave you with the words of Luke Wright and his ballad of Edward Dando. Hurrah! It's me. It's ballad time. Hang some fucking bunting. Now shut your eyes, sit back. We're off to 1820-something. The belching Georgian after-party, an age of gout and laudanum, where opulence and dropsy spread to all that could afford them. The spit-roast swine, Germanic wines, Beau Brummel's ice-cold quips, the clash of Nash's symmetry with George's wobbly bits. Frayed pantaloons and powdered cheeks and booze sucks to the prigs. The Tories had the power, but it was all about the wigs. And dandies dashed in hackney cabs from bar to drinking shop. A gin-soaked trail of tabs until their foppish waistcoats popped. And just as in our stage school age, the slack-jawed Chazenay's dream of being auto-tuned or airbrushed into Pop's harem, so young men walk the gaslit streets of London's rotten hearts with grand ideas to take their lives and spin them into art. And so, our hero, Edward Dando, apprentice to a hatter. We don't know what his hats were like, but they, dear friends, don't matter, for they spent stitching hats for chaps and Dando mad with boredom. A line of dandruff decades stretched out miserably before him. A member of that lunar race that history near forgot he might, had he been born later, lined up with Marx's lot, but sure on ideology or union or committee, Dando only had a hunch that life was sort of shitty. While some were blessed with tails and titles, others buffed their boots and pickled, stewed and boiled the scraps of labour's rotten fruits. Ah, who will pave my grave with jewels? Ah, who will shing me? The atters, blacksmiths, cooks and fools, all piled up like scree. And that, thought Dando, shouldn't, couldn't be the way for him. So he resolved to live his life with shellfish, beer and vim. So, off then to an oyster house, sawdust on the floor, a pile of shells around his boots, our hero orders more. Shuck, gulp, drop, shuck. Drop and all washed down with porter, 
The swagger of a Don Juan with his mitts on someone's daughter and when he had swallowed thirty dozen. Dando belched and sighed, performed this dance of pocket packs. What rotten luck, he lied. I'm sorry, Mr. Oysterman. I'll have to see you clear another day. All right, old boy, next time I'm passing here. And had he been a gentleman, the trader would have bowed and sent him on his merry way, contented with this vow. But swagger isn't breeding. And no sooner out the door, this whistling cocksure hatter felt the rough arm of the law. They banished our voluptuary to Brixton for a month where Dando's raging hunger gave the other lags the hump. They shackled him in solitary for stealing beef and bread where there the old screws pummeled him and boxed his grisly head. But when his month of brew was up, he found the nearest stool, devoured ten dozen oysters and then coughed up bugger all. Alack, his choice of oyster man, this one built like a bull, left our hero in the gutter, sore but very full. So Dando spent his life like this, from oyster house to beating, from shellfish stall to court and jail, and all for sake of eating exactly what he wanted to, exactly when he wanted. For every bristling oyster man or judge that he affronted, he gained a hundred new admirers. Dando strikes again. Can nothing sate his appetite for oysters, ale and pain? Till 1832 rolled round. The aged sailor king now on the throne. Austerity. In place of George's blink. And Dando, like his royal exemplar, saw his fortunes fade. One August night, in cold bath fields, on prisoner parade, our man collapsed with cholera. They carted him inside, where legend, that forgiving mistress, claims before he died they brought a dozen oysters to his lycee prison bed. He rubbed his stomach down the lock, and then he fell back, dead. They buried him in Clerkenwell, beneath St. James's bells. The balladeers sung songs of him and paved his grave with shells. <laughs>